NDV Healing and Support Podcast is a podcast that focuses on domestic violence and other issues as it relates to domestic violence, such as mental health, true crime in the headlines, domestic violence survivor stories, and interviews from mental health professionals. In this episode, episode eight, I sit down with Juanita Diana Barron, who has a master's degree in psychology, who is a counselor, certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and qualified mental health professional. Juanita shares her story of survival and also talks about how she came through the other side of abuse and is now empowered working to help others in the counseling field. Welcome to the podcast, NDV Healing, and today on our eighth episode, we have Juanita Diana Barron, she likes to be called Diana, and she has her master's in psychology, she is a counselor, certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and qualified mental health professional. She also joined us on our virtual empowerment session on July 25th. So thank you, Diana, for coming on today. Absolutely. We'll just start off by going into right into everything. So can you tell us just a little bit about um, your story of survival and can you just kind of like walk us through a little bit of that? Absolutely. Mine actually starts at a very young age. I was four years old when I was brought to Illinois where I resided with my grandparents. And at that time, um, my father, who is a very abusive individual, and my mother, of course, separated. She had taken me to Texas. I don't know how I ended up in Illinois. The story is very diluted. But my biological father didn't come by his abuse. He came by it in a natural way. His mother, who was my grandmother that raised me, was very abusive. And multiple different ways, um, verbally, physically. So when you grow up with that type of an environment, it becomes your normal. And during that time, I, I ended up with friendships that were unhealthy because you attach yourself to like beings that are just like your home life. Because um, normal people who don't fight and don't scream and don't hit almost seem odd to you. It's just like, what's wrong with them? Uh, why are they so quiet? What do they want? What are they looking for? What is their angle? Because you're always looking for that moment when you're gonna get in trouble or you're going to get hit or you're going to be abused by somebody. So growing up, I had mischievous friends. I did a lot of goofy, silly stuff. Nothing that wound me up where I would get in trouble with the law, but it was always something, I was up to something that was either no good 
or would get myself in trouble in some way or another. And that is how I happened upon my narcissistic husband, my first one. He found me walking down the street in the middle of the night, and I was in junior high. He was a high schooler, so this was a big deal to me. This older gentleman was, gentleman, I'll use that word loosely, was admiring me. He wanted to take me out, wanted to go to the movies, wanted to take me bowling, was paying attention to me. And so it was a wonderful world. And he never, ever in the beginning laid a hand on me. It was, you're beautiful. I love you. I'll take care of you. All of these wonderful words. And then one day it changed. I was um, standing on his stairwell and I had asked him because, you know, you're young, you're foolish. I was freshman high school at this time though and um he had graduated so i'm standing on the level of his split house stairs and he had gone out with a girl and i was like what are you doing and because i questioned him he picked me up by my neck and held me over the stairwell but i didn't think that was a bad thing because i had been through it and in a normal relationship, one, no one would be out looking for someone else. And two, they would never lay their hands on you. A long time went by before he ever did anything else. We actually, he was cheating on me the whole time. But um, he would belittle me. I was the one working. He was the one that would jo jump job to job because nobody understood him. Nobody could get him. He was better than what, he was always better than the position of the job that he was holding and felt that everybody was against him. So we go forward and I marry this dingbat. I don't know, you know, I marry him and I think my world is gonna be a whirlwind relationship. And I go to work and I'm sitting at a table where a group of women are sitting that I've always associated with. And for some reason, the girl sitting next to me starts bringing up all of these times she's dated this man. And then she says his name. And I know she did on purpose because she knew who I was. It was my husband. So she had been having a relationship with him the whole time I was having a relationship with him, or at least part of the time. So again, I go home and I question him. And I'm crying. I'm upset. Hurt, of course. And he's a deer hunter. He pulls out his gun and points it at me. He cocks the gun. He hits me. He knocked me cold, out cold. He hit me in the back of the head with the butt end of the rifle. Knocked me out cold. And then when I came to, and the headache was intense. Of course, you don't go to the hospital. You don't go get checked out because that's not the thing to do. It's hush, hush. Who, what would the neighbors think if we were fighting? You know, we don't talk about these things. And if I hadn't pressed him or bothered him, he wouldn't have treated me the way he did. Those were always the famous lines. If you only would do this, I wouldn't have to do this. So I actually called my biological father. Why? I don't know, because we didn't have a relationship and talked to him. And this is the only 
good advice this man ever gave me was he, he said, you're talking to me today about this, but tomorrow your words may come from a casket. And the reality is, is that if somebody is that abusive to you in a relationship, it's going to escalate. Yes. It's going to get worse every time you turn around. And I don't know what could be much worse than having a loaded gun pointed at your head in the, in the sanctity of your own home. It's so I, I packed up my stuff that I could take with me and I left everything behind. I start on a journey of looking for jobs and trying to find a place to fit in. I wasn't dating anyone, wasn't doing anything. And I was about 21, 22 when this happened. And I'm doing very well. I get a good, a really good paying job. I'm in Mount Prospect. And all of a sudden one day, there's a man that walks in with these roses that look like a bush they you could see them up over and it was from my ex-husband somehow he had found me he had found that i was living in mount prospect found that i had this job was trying to woo me back but at that point in time i finally found my strength that i didn't need this i'm not going back so i handed the roses to a security guard and asked him if he had a person that he had a relationship with that he'd like to give them to and he did. And that, that one little gesture that I did for myself gave me power. Leaving him gave me power. Not answering phone calls gave me power. The thing is, is that for eight years I dated this man and eight years I went back and forth and back and forth with the, I love you, I, you're my one and only and me, self-doubting who I was because I was always told as a child growing up I was a miserable being that they had a life until I came along that they didn't want me so being in a relationship with this individual that I had married was normal to me it felt just like a normal and when I got out of that I found no it's not normal but then you go through dating. You're dating people and you're still finding that you're finding people that are like your family. They might not hit me, might not um, abuse me, but there is some type of verbal dialogue that's going on where someone has uneven control. So I found I was still picking up people that had... Um, had defects that would complement the lifestyle that I was raised in. So I started to go to school, started to study, started to study the mind, study the brain, study behaviors. Um, I was told I could never become anything because I never finished anything and I was stupid and all this stuff. I'm here now telling you I'm not. I have a master's degree in psychology I got A's. I understand very well the written language. Um, I'm a very intelligent woman. I'm very strong, but I let other people that want power have power over me. And I find myself, I still every once in a while revert back to that, but I recognize it immediately. 
That's one thing when you start to get healthy, you start to recognize the signs. They're going to be out there everywhere. There will be female relationships that you have that you think the two of you complement each other and this is going to be a good friend of yours. But then all of a sudden you realize she has the same traits as the narcissistic person you were married to or the people that raised you that were abusive. And it's interesting how you gravitate there. Now, I think I gravitate sometimes because I want to help people be different. And one thing with a narcissist, you can't help them be different. You really can't help anybody be different. They have to help themselves. But a narcissist, they are witty. They've spent their whole life watching behaviors of people that are successful and they know how to mimic it, but they don't know how to be it. A narcissist will have a very destructive lifestyle. They may be very wealthy. They may be very successful in what they do, but emotionally they are not connected to that. They would, they would be the type of individual that would purchase a dog because everybody on the block has a dog but that dog would be abused in that house because they don't like the dog, they don't care about the dog, but the dog represents the Joneses, what the neighbors have, what the wealthy have. Um, I have a very abusive brother, of course, because, and he was actually my uncle, this gets so convoluted, because I was raised by my grandparents, their two sons, the one son was my father and the other son was his brother. Now my uncle, he, went as far as changing religions, changing um, jobs. He first went to Moody Bible School and became a priest. And the reason why he, or pastor, he became a pastor. And the reason why he did it was to have power over people. There is nothing more powerful than saying that you're a, a direct link to God. And he would abuse people in his congregation, mainly women that were from broken homes because a narcissist knows exactly how to pick you. He yes. knows that there's something about you that needs saving and he's gonna step in there and tell you he's gonna save you while using you as a pawn. Then in order to become a more wealthy individual, he changed to Judaism and said he was Jewish and moved to New York and moved into this populace and became very entrenched with these individuals and became abusive with them. And I watched him destroy individuals and it sickened me to be related to him because you see how a man, and there's women narcissists out there too, but I'm more familiar with the male version of it, to watch a man move himself in and pretend that he's this great power in somebody's life to lift them up, but actually squash them and destroy them. And it's, it's hard, it's, it's disgusting. And that's why I'm in the field that I'm in because I wanna help women and empower women. And now I'm working with women and men who struggle with addiction the addiction doesn't come by unnaturally. It comes because there's something that's missing in the life that the individual is trying to either create or escape from.
So if you can assist people in finding their power, power over the addiction, maybe you have an addiction over individuals that abuse you. Getting over that addiction and being able to recognize that this isn't healthy for me, that's why I chose the career path that I did. And I, I feel very successful now, but I won't lie to you, there are days that I will feel like that little girl again and like that abused individual again, but I will find my way out of it quicker than I did back in those days. That's interesting that you said that because you and I have a lot of uh, similarities in our story. Um, there's, especially with, like you said, you, you learn it quicker now where you, you tell yourself, okay, because now you've been through it. But I, I've had that same situation where because of my relationship with my dad, I, I would always second guess myself. And so now, because I've, it's been years, you know, I can tell myself, okay, I can do this. But years ago, there was times where that thought would come in my head and then I would be questioning myself whether I could really, really do it or not. So it's interesting that um, you touched on that too. And of course, your past also compelled you to want to become a counselor, which I think is awesome. Thank you. So when you were dealing through that, what do, who would you say that was like, an, was there an influence that you had that really helped you or did you have any resources that really helped you through your journey? When I was younger, my influence was my piano teacher. She was a safe haven. Um, I would go over there and I would sit and she would talk to me about the fact that I had a very bright mind and she would tell me that I was, I was going to be something someday. And parts of me when I was younger would flicker and say, yes, I am. But then I'd wrap myself up with the individual that was abusing me and I would go and revert back. But I don't know that when I got older that it was anybody else but the woman that was standing in the mirror in front of me that catapulted me to change. Because you get to a point where you say, I just can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't be this individual. I need something different. And, and I believe very much in the fact that what we do, how we touch somebody Sorry, my husband's trying to sneak in and I'm telling him to go away. But I feel that we, I, I want my imprint on people to be a positive one wherever I go. And that is what led me to look for positivity in my life. So I don't know that it was anything when I was growing up except books. I read a lot. What, is, what do you think is a common myth about counts, counselors that you would like to debunk? Or what do you think is like a common myth that people have with, about counselors? The most common myth is that you're crazy if you go to see a counselor. Um, that you have some sort of serious mental defect and that that's the only reason why you should go see a counselor. Um, no, that isn't what's happening what you're doing is seeking out help and assistance so that you can build yourself a better life and then another one would be that they're going to judge you we don't judge anybody people come from all walks of life and all sorts of pain and that pain is a domino effect of 
environment, nurturing. It's, it's not you per se. It is your choices and decisions and what you've been exposed to that create the environment that you're currently living in. And your attitude and your behaviors can change the environment you can live in in the future. So it's not that you per se are the person that is, is damaged, but you have had damage happen to you. It's, I think a lot of people believe that if I tell somebody else my deepest, darkest secrets, they'll leave me too. They'll think I'm horrible too. But it isn't what counseling is about. Counseling is being a sounding board and taking evidence-based procedures and helping the individual to better themselves and become the best version of themselves and pick out those wonderful aspects. We all have them. It is the damage that can be done to an individual or the maladaptive thought processes that keep us cemented where we are. Is there anything like what specifically like have you learned from a client or what the program that um, that you work for um, has done for a client? Like what has been a wow moment, either something you've learned from a client or something that the program that you work for um, has done for a client? Like what was like your wow moment in counseling? The best points, and there's multiple wow moments because when you do this, you get to touch a lot of lives. Is right now with addiction, when I was working at the women's residential unit, it's seeing someone finally get that light bulb moment that they can do it and they start to do it and then receiving letters or running into them later and they tell you how wonderfully they're doing because they used the tools that you provided for them to change their life. Working in the um, place that I'm working currently, the grant to benefit homeless individuals with mental health and addiction, the happiest moment right now is when they get keys to a house and you see them light up and you know that they know, I've got this, I can do this, I have a safe place to go, I can change. Um, everybody thanks me. Uh, they thank the counselors that I work with. And while yes, we, it's nice to hear the thank you, they need to understand that they put in the work too. That, and they do, they realize that I am worthy of this and I am good enough to make a difference in my own life. Those are the wow moments that I really truly love. What do you wish that you would have known like when you first started your career in counseling? Is there anything like you wish that you would have known when you like first just started off as a, a newbie counselor? I don't know because I was so much older when I became a counselor. Because when I say I got my degree, I'm talking about just recently. Um, I've only been counseling eight years. What I wish I knew was behavior patterns were what I was taught in college. I wish I knew that in junior high. I wish I knew that when I was younger. So what I really wish happened is, and would happen now, is life skills were taught to individuals at a much younger age. 
there are so many classes that we have for young people that involve getting a job and getting educated for a field or sports but there are really no classes to assist in helping young people at a young age find who they are and their power and that's what i wish i could do or make a change of in let's say the junior high ages because that's really when people start to change find themselves create their groups that's i wish i had the hindsight back then to start something and it's not, not to say i don't have it to start it now but it's something that's needed for younger people because there are so many especially with social media so many areas to get lost to become self-doubters to not know how to embrace your beauty your strength and make it strong so that you live a healthy productive life yeah i i agree with that i think that would have been nice to have even like for myself like when i was in high school if they would have had like some type of group or um for young girls i think that would have been really nice just um because i I've heard like in some areas, but um, not too many, but I've heard like where they have like someone come in and they work with like, a section of girls or a section of boys and you know, when they talk to them like about self-worth and things like that. And I think that, yeah, that would have been probably beneficial to have. I, now here's something in my college, I was in sociology and the teacher that I had was telling us about the fact that she was struggling with writing and reading and that a, a teacher put her in a closet because he said she didn't belong. And then she had a guidance counselor that came out and spoke with her and started to change her path. And that's how she ended up as the teacher in sociology because what people don't understand, there's a lot of people out there that look at individuals that are maybe using welfare, um, that are, are gaining access to treatment that isn't charged as it's charged for those who are in the working class. And they begin to think of these individuals as being lazy or, or that they don't know how to do anything for themselves and they don't want to do that. In, for themselves and that's not true and looking at her it's the domino effect of what we put on another individual let's say that guidance counselor didn't step in for that individual can you imagine what kind of a lifestyle she might have joined into believing that she wasn't worthy and being stuck in a closet versus someone taking her out of that closet and saying no you're very bright and now she's teaching people someone that's told that she can't read and she can't do this, but now she's got the grace and the ability to, to educate others. If we don't have people that can step in and assist individuals in finding that power for themselves, we're all lost. It's like we're running around without direction. And I can't stand when people say, well, they're just welfare babies or they're, they, they're mooching off the system. No, they aren't. The system failed them. 
our world fails people every single day by categorizing people and putting them here, there in what they assume fits. Nothing is more disgusting than a woman in domestic violence calling for assistance and the police officer coming and talking to the man or talking to the abuser. It's such an unfair balance because then she feels she has no power. Um, these types of atrocities, I see them as we've got to stop them somehow and we've got to do it through education and do it through helping lifting each other versus smashing each other. Don't look at someone and point out their, there's that quote, um, be the person that straightens the girl's crown versus telling her it's crooked. Yeah. You know, help, assist. Don't be the one that brings somebody down. Yeah, women's empowerment, which is something that's really important to me as well. What would you say is your biggest failure that you've had and what did you learn from it? Like, how did you turn that around and what did you learn from it? My, the biggest failure is self-doubt. Um, self-doubt kept me from going to college out of high school. Self-doubt kept me from seeking a career that would be something I wanted to do. Um, Self-doubt kept me in relationships that weren't healthy for me. And the, re the way I turn that around is to recognize that I have a lot of good qualities. I am very strong. Uh, you don't get here out of an abusive relationship or out of a, a sordid past. Don't get to the position I'm in without having strength and without having, and what turned it around is getting that first A on my report card, signing up for the class. Um, I can remember when I was younger, I couldn't do math worth a darn. And I still don't like numbers, I don't. But my um, grandfather was a math teacher and I was sitting there trying to figure out algebra. Couldn't understand why people wanted to put the alphabet in the middle of a bunch of numbers. And he grabbed hold of me by the neck and said, are you never going to get this and choke me? And that's like the last time I ever applied myself at math. So when I went to the College of Lake County to start in the addictions program, I had to take a math test. I remember crying like for three days about having to take this test. And finally, I just did the... Um, the little example tests that they have that they give you to practice with and did all of the practice work. And I passed it, I aced it. So I didn't have to take any math classes. And at that moment, I realized that it was the moment my grandfather had put his hands around my throat and started choking me that I shut myself off to that part of my life. I wouldn't do numbers because of his actions. But when I worked on it and did it myself, I was able to do it. So recognizing that someone else's opinion of me is not who I am, that is my greatest strength. So I don't have to, to fight the self-doubt anymore. I am not somebody else's opinion. I am not somebody else's decision. Though that's strength to me. I love that. I really do. Cause I spent, like I said, we have very similar stories and I spent 18 years last 18 years 
second guessing myself on thousands and thousands of things. And it stopped me from doing a lot of things I wanted to do with my career at the time. It stopped me from doing so many things because that slipped out in other people's opinions and they would always seep into my head. And I'd always be like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, to the point where it, it would um, have like a huge anxiety when I, I would get to do things because the thoughts would come in my head that I couldn't do it. And that's why it's so important too that um, during our virtual empowerment sessions, we have the different topics, but self worth and self is a topic that frequently comes up because it is so important um, to let other people know too that you do not focus on the opinions that other people have of you. So yeah, I, I definitely like that. What is the most important thing that you would say that people don't know about you? I'm sensitive. <laughs> Maybe they do know it. I don't know, but I am very... Uh, I'm a goofy person. I will make crass jokes and, and make light of situations. And people probably think I have a very sick mind. I'm kind of, I can, I can go very dark, like Stephen King dark, but I am so much more of a sweet individual than a lot of people think. I, they look at me and I think they see, uh, um, that isn't resting bitch face. It's actually, I just want to be accepted just like you want to be accepted in the world. And those are the things I am very sensitive. I'm not insensitive to somebody's, um, stressors. I may make a joke after I've gone through a situation that's been very high anxiety and make a joke and everybody will laugh, but then they'll be like, God, that was kind of, you know, off the collar that's my way of dealing with things. And um, I'm a strong and loving individual. And that's me in a nutshell, I think. I don't know. No, I think that's an awesome answer. I think often women who are strong and appear very strong and, you know, and, and sometimes people don't think about those other softer sides of them because they're, they're only focused on, well, they're strong. But there's, there's other sides, you know, there's the sensitive side too that people have and the caring side too. So it's um, just because you're strong, you know, there's, there's other sides. Lastly, if you could turn back time and talk to like your 20 year old self, what would you tell her? This is like um, something I really love to ask just because, um, you know, it's just so like what we learn now versus what we didn't know <laughs> yeah I love you that's one most important thing is because when you're in the the turmoil of an abusive relationship uh, abuse growing up you learn not to like yourself you learn to look in the mirror and look at all the things that everybody say are defective about you yes and I would want to tell her you are beautiful. I love you and you're important and you're needed and you've got great qualities. That's, and go out and conquer is what I would want to tell her. Be who you want to be. Don't listen to the naysayers. I, lo I love that because I definitely think, um, like you said, when you're, you're being abused, you, you question yourself and you, you, you do look at the negative, but I also think too that 
you also think like, what is wrong with me? And so you sometimes, you know, you're looking at only the negative qualities and you're only focusing on what may be wrong with you. And really there isn't anything wrong with you. We all have great qualities, but that situations will cause you to focus on what is is negative about you and i yes. can relate to that so I, have yeah. you ever seen the dove commercial that was done with the um the forensic drawer the 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 man that will do the sketch artist he's a forensic sketch artist have you ever seen that dove commercial no look it up because it is so empowering they take a group of women they bring them in and they ask them to describe themselves he never sees so he draws this picture of them of what they think and generally the picture when you see it is over exaggerated things that maybe someone told them you had your chin's too big or your nose is too big your eyes are too wide, you have too many freckles. So they point all those things out. So he draws them in the picture. Well, then they are sitting in a room with someone they don't know. And that individual is talking with them and getting to know them and everything. And then that individual is asked to go into the room and they are asked to sketch the individual. Um, and they tell the forensic artist what they believe that the woman looks like. And when you look at both pictures, the one that the people drew that didn't know the individual, they're softer, they're beautiful. They, re they actually depict what the individual looks like. And then, so then they bring the woman back in and they show them both photos. And tears ensue because they realize that their perception of themselves is so skewed as to what others perceive them by. I heard a quote one time when I was listening to a TED talk, and it says that people generally live their life not based on what they think they are. They, they live their life based upon what they believe the other person believes they are. And nine times out of 10, they're wrong about what the other person perceives them. It's just their conditioning that they grow up into believing what others have told them. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. And I see a lot of it too in our in our support sessions. A lot of women have in our group have been told for so many years that and and then they start to believe that they've been told about themselves. And it becomes And it makes them very hard. Yes. It makes the individual very hard. You realize that um a person that's ensued abuse their exterior is very like an eggshell it's very fragile but it's hard and to others nothing can penetrate it because of course an egg wants to protect the the embryo so the individual has created this hard shell that doesn't appear as what really is internal yeah that's a that's a good description i like that that actually yeah i could definitely see that it's an educational piece, but then too, um, they, they get, the survivors get to see and learn that, okay, yeah, there isn't anything wrong with me. I'm fine the way that. And everything that they've gone through, they need to understand it molds them into the greater person that they're going to be. Instead of saying I was abused and I was hurt and I have been a victim, you have to become victorious over your life and take 
those moments and jettison, I can't say the word right, jettison yourself out in there to create beauty from the storm. Forest fires, they burn down a whole forest, but what is left are the seeds that will grow a stronger, different genetically made tree to survive another storm. So the abuse that you've gone through may be your forest fire, but what is left behold a different life that's going to be stronger and can weather any other storm and provide protection, life and shelter for others. I love that. And I love too that, like you said, um, one of the best things about parent sessions is that like the light bulb moment goes off and you can see that in some of the survivors' minds and it's good to see people um, come out on the other side. So yeah, you do go through abuse, but like you said, you, you can you know come out on the other side of that. So it's definitely a learning experience. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us today and telling your story yeah. and obviously joining us for the empowerment session. But um, we, yeah, we really appreciate you joining us. And I think you've done really um, wonderful work as a counselor as well. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye.